Um, so today we are continuing our way through the book of Luke. Uh, so if you have your, your Bible with you, you can turn there. Uh, this is on uh, page 871 in your, your pew Bible. And this section of Luke is a, a difficult section that from where we are now through the beginning of chapter 13, the, the theme that keeps coming back is the final judgment. Um, and we're just coming out of a section where, where Jesus has some of his most harsh words against false teachers. So it's false teaching and final judgment. So it's, it's not exactly a seeker-friendly section. It, it's a hard section. There are a lot of difficult concepts in this. Um, but also it's encouraging is what we need as, as believers. So again, this is Luke chapter 12, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterwards have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear, fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. But I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. But when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would give me the words to speak now and uh, testifying to who you are and what you've done and, uh, and unpacking this passage, Lord. And we pray that your Spirit would guide our, our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to flee hypocrisy, the fear of man, Lord, that you would use this, uh, that we would be different this afternoon, Lord, that, that, we, that you would use this to, sh to shape us and mold us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you ever noticed that when, when you were a student, 
that people tend to forget about the final exam until the very end. And they know from the very first day of class that the final exam is coming, but then it's, it's on the back of their mind. And then, it, it, of course, week before, suddenly they're staying up all night, uh, trying to cram as much information into their brains as possible. And that students, I think, study harder the more they keep their final exam in mind. But it's that way for, for lots of areas of life, that there can be this idea of a day of judgment, a day of reckoning that can motivate action in the present. So a runner might train harder the closer she gets to the 10K, or couples work harder the closer they get to their wedding, or musicians practice harder the closer they get to the performance. And that's really what we see here in this text from Luke, that three times Jesus points to this reality of final judgment, and then three times he shows how that reality should shape what we do here, now, and the present. So let's look at these three ways individually. So first, Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite because the final judgment is coming. So look at, at verse 1. He says, it says that in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so you can see that the setting that this crowd is, is gathered, thousands it says, and Jesus addresses his disciples and tells them to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. And you say, well, what is leaven? Well, if you know bread breaking, bread baking process, uh, that you, you take your flour and you put water and you put leaven or you put some kind of yeast in it. And then in a fairly short amount of time, it will spread through the entire lump. It, it rises. And so the idea is that the, the leaven is, in a way, kind of infectious, that it, it spreads to the rest. And that's basically what Jesus is saying about hypocrisy, that, that a little bit of it in our spiritual life will impact everything. And I, and I think that if uh, Jesus were saying this today, he might have said, beware of the coronavirus of the Pharisees. Uh, beware of letting just a little bit of it into your life because it will actually spread and infect everything, your entire religious life. It's that dangerous. And Grace and I have a, a friend in China who uh, sent us a picture of herself in a, in a line, you know, be, having an official checking her temperature to make sure that she didn't have a fever, that she didn't have the, the coronavirus. And so for, for an infectious disease that's spreading, there are gen generally signs that you're infected. And so if you think about the leaven of hypocrisy, how would you know if hypocrisy was growing inside of you? Well, I think that, that the question to ask is this, is there a disparity between your, your private life and your public life? And you, then you could go through and ask questions like this to say, What's the quality of my private prayer life versus my public prayer life? What sins do I condemn in public when I'm with other people, but then practice or desire in private? What sins do I judge in other people, but then overlook in myself? Or 
how embarrassed would I be if all of my thoughts, all of my words, and all of my actions, every single one of them, only in this past week, were somehow put on a projector here at Hope and just played for you. Um, and you, you can think about that. Would, would people have a, a higher view of you or a lower view of you if all of your secret thoughts and actions were known? And I think that as we, as we subject ourselves to that kind of a, a test and those sorts of thoughts, that we can all see that if we don't have a, a full-blown infection of hypocrisy, that all of us, to one degree or another, are at least tempted <laughs> to have this disparity between our, our public life and our private life, that the, the leaven of the Pharisees is definitely at work within us. And so what do we do? How do we confront then the leaven of hypocrisy within us that is, is working in, in our hearts? And, and that's what Jesus shows us in verse 2, if you look there in your Bibles. He says, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And so Jesus is, is taking this, this reality of the, the final judgment, this unveiling of all the secret thoughts and actions, and he's using that essentially as a motivation to confront the leaven of hypocrisy, the leaven of the, of the Pharisees in our own life. That he, he's, he's saying that, that nothing is covered that will not be revealed, nothing is hidden that will not be made known. And I think that for, for some, maybe for some of you, that idea can be comforting because maybe you were abused in secret and your abuser is still free out in the world. And, and what this is saying is that, that God will hold the abuser to account, that, that, God will, that God is a God of justice. He's a holy and righteous God who will judge the world. But at the same time, I think that this can be uncomfortable or, or frightening to most of us as well. Because, I mean, I mentioned having our thoughts, our words, and our actions played for even just this church. But imagine having all of your thoughts, your, your words, and your deeds through your entire life, not simply played for a small group, but actually put on display for the world. And it says proclaimed on the housetops, and that we know that we've done things that we want, we don't want to talk about. We know the things that we've done in our lives, and we know that God has enough on every single one of us to convict us on the day of judgment, that we're all like people who have been pulled over doing 80 in the school zone, that, that, that we, we can't claim that we're without excuse. God knows where we've been and what we've done. But then thankfully, God offers a way, though, to face this proclaiming of all of our secret deeds with confidence. Because that's why Jesus came. That's why he entered the world, why he lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death. And so when the, the secret deeds are proclaimed on the housetops, that, that we can really say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that, that the perfect record of Jesus 
in our place is counted to us. And so the things that are proclaimed on the rooftop will not be held against us, that we'll get the, the innocent verdict from God, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us and that we receive that through faith in him. And so that's our, our first point, that Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite because the final judgment is coming. But then second, Jesus is also saying, don't live out of the fear of man because the final judgment is coming. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. Jesus continues, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterward have nothing more they can do. And so I, I think that many of us are, are tempted to, to fear even just the opinions of other people. We say, what do they think of me? What are they saying about me? Do people respect me? What do they say when I walk out of the room? But Jesus here, is, he, he says that we shouldn't fear other people. But he's not just talking about fearing the opinions of other people or fearing what others might think about us. But he says that we don't even have to fear those who kill the body. And you think, what could go in that category of people who kill the body? So this is saying, we don't have to be afraid of terrorists or North Korea or ISIS or Iran or white nationalists or serial killers or drug dealers or drunk drivers or school shooters. And you could fill in the blank with whatever it is. And he's saying that we shouldn't fear anyone who can kill the body. And that sounds extreme, but then look at what Jesus says in verse 5. He says, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so again, Jesus takes this present struggle with the fear of man here and now, and then he, he roots it in the reality of a final judgment that we shouldn't fear ultimately the one who can only kill our body because that's not that much. That's not that powerful. But he says, don't fear the one with the, the finite power. Fear the one with the, the infinite power who has the authority to, to cast into hell. That's whom we should fear. Now, this could be kind of a hard thing for some of you to, to wrestle through because probably some of you say, I don't know if I believe in hell, or I, I really struggle with this idea of fearing God because isn't he our, our loving father? And I, I came across this interesting question that was actually asked to Billy Graham. Somebody asked Billy Graham, did Jesus ever say anything about hell? I don't believe in hell myself. I believe God is a God of love who wouldn't send anyone to hell. I think preachers who talk about hell all the time are trying to scare people into believing in their religion. And maybe that's even what, what some of you think um, about the idea of, of hell in the Bible. But Billy Graham gave this really nice response where, where first he pointed out the fact that Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And then he, he quoted actually our text today and, and the, the idea that God has authority to cast into hell. But then he said this, he said, Jesus didn't talk about hell just to scare us. He talked about it instead because he wanted us to know that God has provided a way of escape. Listen, 
God doesn't want you to be separated from him forever. He loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you in heaven. Don't gamble with your soul. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Instead, by faith, turn to Christ and commit your life to him. He alone gives us hope, hope for today and hope for eternity. And I think that what he's getting at is right, that we need to take the idea of hell seriously because Jesus takes it seriously and the Bible takes it seriously. But at the same time, we have to put it in context of the, the comfort and the life that is actually offered in Scripture. Because notice that's exactly what Jesus does in verse 6, that after talking about the, the one who has authority to cast into hell, and that we should fear God, he immediately moves to comfort and says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered, Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I always kind of laugh, how many sparrows? What's the, it's many sparrows, he doesn't say how many. Uh, but but, but this, this, is, this is comforting that God, he knows and cares for the sparrows, he knows the hairs on our head, that he's the God who, who loves us and cares for us, we're created in his image. And so we don't have to be afraid because we have a loving, caring father in heaven. And so we've said, don't be a hypocrite. Don't live out of the fear of man because final judgment is coming in the fear mixed with comfort. But then third and finally, Jesus is saying, don't deny Christ because the final judgment is coming. And so look again at verse 8. Jesus says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now in the early church, not too long after this was written, uh, there was incredible persecution of Christians, probably the most famous period of persecutions in Christianity. And people were crucified, they were sent to the, to the lions. And the way of escape from it was very simple, that all people had to do was light a candle to Caesar and say, Kaiser Kyrios, which means Caesar is Lord, and they would be spared the torture, spared the pain, spared the persecution. And ironically, this led to a kind of reverse hypocrisy occasionally, because we think of hypocrisy as confessing Christ openly, but then secretly denying him with our thoughts, words, and actions. But then in light of the, the persecution, some people were tempted and then actually fell into this of denying Christ publicly, of, of lighting the candle to Caesar, saying that Caesar is Lord, but then thinking that somehow in their hearts they could still be, why well, I'm secretly worshiping Christ. He's still my Lord, even if I say this um, verbally. But according to our text here, that isn't an option. That there, There's no such thing as an anonymous Christian. There, there's no way to deny Christ publicly and then believe in him privately, because what Jesus says is that whoever acknowledges him before men will be acknowledged on the day of judgment. Whoever denies him before men will be denied on that day. And that, that's just a, a terrifying thought. It's hard to even comprehend that, that Jesus denying us on the day of judgment because we denied him. And for this reason, throughout 
history of persecution, so many have gone to their deaths. Uh, for example, in 2017, a, a bus was attacked in Egypt. A, a group of Christians were pulled off the bus, threatened with death if they didn't convert to Islam. And uh, one of them was then killed, murdered, because he refused to deny Christ. And listen to what his mother said after the fact. She said, maybe you think that I would rather have seen my son take a different choice. And of course, as a mother, I'm terribly sad and angry because I lost my son. But I'm happy that, happy that I witnessed the faith I raised him in. I'm thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ, even with his life in danger. He made the right choice, and that has been a huge comfort to me. And that, I mean, that's something that those words that we might want to say, but can't imagine saying actually in the, the light of the death of our own child. But I think that she's able to say these things because she has the reality of the final judgment in view, that she has the reality that, that it's not those who kill the body that we should fear, but the one who has the authority to cast into hell, that, that our, the fate of our immortal souls matters more than the length of our days here on this earth. And that, that we know that those who acknowledge Christ before men, Christ will acknowledge those who deny him before men will be denied. And if you're like me, then you think, well, I wonder what I would do in that moment. What would I do if somebody put a gun to my head and told me to convert, to, to turn away from Christ? But I think that we can begin to get a clue in that question by thinking about how we respond in far less dramatic situations that are we willing to acknowledge Christ before men when we might be made fun of or when we might lose our job or when we might be accused of being anti-intellectual or old-fashioned or when we could face economic persecution or the loss of our business things that are far smaller than our, our lives and but even in those moments it's so important to keep this idea of the, the final judgment in view that Christ puts out before us in, the, in this text of, of saying that those who deny him before men, he will deny before his father. So our, our call is to be bold, to proclaim him to our friends and, and family members and, and neighbors. But as I wrap up today then, I, I want to quickly address verse 10. Uh, because this is a, a difficult verse within this passage of difficult verses. It says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so Jesus is saying that, that it's possible to be in the moment of trial to deny Christ and then to repent and receive forgiveness from that. You can think of somebody like Peter, denied Christ three times during the crucifixion and then was restored as one of the leading apostles, that it, denying Christ is not the unforgivable sin, that, that God um, offers forgiveness and, and hope. But he says here that, that blaspheming against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That they, this is called in theology the unforgivable sin. And this caused a lot of anxiety a lot of fear among Christians throughout church history, that there are many people who have, have lived just in constant terror of 
What if I've committed the unforgivable sin? What if I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and I can't ever be forgiven? But I think as we think about that, it's important to say, well, what is Jesus actually talking about? And J.C. Ryle, commenting on our text today, says this, that the sin to which our Lord refers in this passage appears to be the sin of deliberately rejecting God's truth with the heart while the truth is clearly known with the head. It's a combination of light in the understanding and determined wickedness in the will. And it's also what the author to the Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 6, verse 4. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and when then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And so in both of those, you, you see it talking about somebody who's tasted the heavenly gifts, who's, who's been a, a participant in the life of the church, has seen the truth of the gospel at work, but then even acknowledging that it's true, that God is the God of the universe, that he is at work saying, but actually I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. And so this is a, a serious warning. But I think for those who then might be concerned, have I committed the unforgivable sin? That, that even asking that question proves that you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Because the person who's committing the unforgivable sin is the person who is hardened, who... who is nowhere near the place of repentance, who wants nothing to do with God while recognizing the fact that it's, that it's true. But if, if there's a sense of, no, like, I, I desire God, I desire to repent, I, I desire to, to seek forgiveness, or maybe even just I desire to begin to desire to desire it, that that is the sign that the Spirit of God is at work in your heart so you can take comfort. Which is why, again, after speaking something so hard about the unforgivable sin, Jesus immediately moves into comfort. He says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so it's, it's the comfort of the Holy Spirit who's at work within us, that when neighbors or friends or family say, hey, could you tell me about Christ? And we feel like we're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing, that, that we can be confident because the Spirit's giving us the words to speak. And if, heaven forbid, the moment ever came where our, our life was actually on the line of professing Christ, that again, the Spirit is there to strengthen us, to, to guide us, to give us the, the words to speak through his grace. But as we wrap up, though, I just want to return briefly to this idea of, of final judgment. Because we said, don't be a hypocrite. Don't live out of the fear of man. Don't deny Christ all because the final judgment is coming. But we see this beautiful description of the final judgment at the very end of Luke. And so if, even if you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 21 and look at verse 25, Jesus describing this day says, and there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear 
and the foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And so what Jesus is showing there is these, these two responses to the reality of final judgment. The one is fear, hiding, not being able to stand, wondering if all of the things we've done are exposed, will we be able to stand before a holy and righteous God? But then the other response is, it says is to straighten up, raise up your heads because the day of your redemption is drawing near. This, the sense of, of confidence and excitement for the day of judgment. That it's not something that we have to fear. We don't have to wonder, have I done enough? Have I been religious enough? Have I been faithful enough? That we actually can have confidence on the day of judgment because of the reality that is symbolized and sealed in this meal. Because in a very real sense, final judgment is a future reality. But also that the reality of final judgment broke into the world 2,000 years ago as Jesus hung on the cross. Because the sky was darkened. It says in Matthew that, that dead people rose up from the tombs and were uh, going around Jerusalem. Uh, the, the temple of the curtain, the, or the curtain of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And, and the wrath of God against the sins of his people was poured out on Jesus in the cross. And that's why when, in a moment we'll say the Apostles' Creed, says that he descended into hell, that Jesus himself on the Christ took on himself the reality of final judgment. His body was broken, his blood was shed. And he did it so that we can rise up our heads on that day, so that we can have, have confidence to approach the throne of, of grace, even as we see where we fall into the fear of man or into hypocrisy or, or where we're tempted to, to shy away from professing Christ that, that he is, is faithful to us and he gives himself and so the day of judgment then becomes the, the marriage supper of the lamb where we sit down and enjoy a feast presented as the spotless bride before our Lord without blemish bought by the one who loved us and, and gave himself for us.